All right, let's get into the Word of God here today. If you were here last Sunday, you know that we uh, shared that we were taking a little break from our series in Romans over this summer to do a series in the book of Proverbs. And last Sunday was Father's Day, and so we just focused on what Proverbs has to say about dads and kids, and we didn't really do a proper introduction to Proverbs, which I'm going to do uh, today. But what we are going to really focus on uh, this morning is probably the main theme of Proverbs, which is wisdom and a life lived according to wisdom in contrast to folly or the fool and a life that is lived contradictory to the wisdom of God and suffering all the consequences that come from that. So the question we're going to be asked today is, who are we in the book of Proverbs? Because there are three main characters there is the wise man or woman, please, uh, no, uh, I mean, no gender distinction by that whatsoever today. The wise person, the foolish person, or the simple person. The beginning of Proverbs is as close as we have to an introduction, and so I'm just going to read this because it summarizes really what the entire collection, 31 chapters, is really about. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Key verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's talk about the backstory of Proverbs. And the first thing that we're introduced to in verse 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon. And indeed, you could say that about Proverbs because Solomon wrote much of Proverbs, uh, but not all of Proverbs. In fact, they are directly attributed to like about one-third to Solomon, and then there's maybe another third that we're not sure about, might be Solomon, and then there's another section that introduces us to guys like Agur and Lemuel. Who are they? We don't know, but they wrote really wise things, and so it was introduced and included in uh, the collection that is Proverbs. So back to uh, Solomon a moment. If you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon was uh, one of the great kings of Israel. He was the son of David, and Solomon's reign really represents the high cotton days in the story of Israel, and part of the reason for that goes back to a a critical moment in Solomon's story. And maybe you know this part of the story because he had just become king. And in the midst of a dream, God came to him and asked him, well, told him, I will give you anything you want, just tell me what you want. Solomon, in a dream, is wise enough to ask God for wisdom to lead his people. Now, I don't know about you, but in the midst of my dreams, I'm not even that wise. In fact, this morning, I awoke to a dream. Perhaps it was the thunder. I think it maybe was the dream. Uh, I awoke to a dream in which I was playing in a golf tournament, 
And it was like a big tournament on TV and all of that. And strangely, the first hole you teed off in the pro shop. And I could not get my tee shop shot through the window and onto the, and I woke up all frustrated. If God would have come to me in that moment and said, I'll give you anything you want. I said, I just want that ball to get out of the pro shop. That literally was my dream this morning. But God comes to Solomon in a dream and says, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon, wise enough to ask for wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for riches and you didn't ask for power, not only am I going to make you wise, I'm going to give you riches and power as well. And you read the accounts of the, of the success of Israel under Solomon's reign it really was an amazing time in Israel's history, being led by the wisest man, perhaps the wisest man, who has ever lived. If you add Ecclesiastes, which is also sourced likely in Solomon, you take Proverbs and you take Ecclesiastes and you read through both of those, you can only come to the conclusion, wow, this guy Solomon was really smart. And not just smart like intellectually, but insightful into life and relationships in spiritual matters, the riches are gone, but we still have the wisdom of Solomon, the treasure of Solomon's wisdom here at our fingertips in the book of Proverbs. And I think it's important to understand that the intellectual culture of the day was one that highly valued these expressions of wisdom. We tend to think of the ancient man and we think, you know, they, they weren't quite as intellectual as we are. They weren't as, as advanced as we are. And yet to read Proverbs is to realize these were really smart people who were thinking deeply about life and faith and God and the natural course of things. And to be able to take all of that wisdom and to write it in memorable little pithy sayings. That itself takes wisdom. <clears throat> and so Israel, in the throne room of Solomon, highly valued wisdom like this. And the other thrones, by the way, of the ancient world in, in uh, Mesopotamia did similar things. There are collections of, you know, for example, like Assyrian uh, wisdom and, and other you know, Egyptian wisdom sayings. And many of them are remarkably similar to what we find Israel collecting in their sayings and in their wisdoms here in, in Proverbs. But it was a time that highly valued these kinds of things. You, know, you think about today, what do, what do uh, the leaders of the world value today? They value money, they value shrewdness, they value power, military power, etc. But back in this time, there was a craving for people to understand the world around them and to live wisely. And so they collected these sayings together in what we call Proverbs. Do you remember the Queen of Sheba? She came from ancient Ethiopia, kind of a, a, a precursor, like an ancient Wakanda, if you will. And she heard about this king in Israel who had insights into things that nobody else did. And so she travels a great distance to sit at the feet of Solomon and to listen to uh, what he had to say and to see his kingdom. And if you remember, when she left, she said the half of it wasn't told. She was astounded at what she saw and what she heard. These were the kinds of people that valued insight and understanding. 
And we'll get back to the Queen of Sheba later. At the head of the list of wise men, and we have, we have Mordecai, we have Daniel, we have others like that. At the head of that list, though, is certainly Solomon. The Proverbs are attributed to him. Ecclesiastes is generally attributed to him. We have especially Proverbs 10 and following. Those chapters are directly sayings of Solomon. Probably about a third of Proverbs is from the pen and the mind of Solomon, perhaps more. So while all the kingdoms sought wisdom, Proverbs in the Bible has a different starting point than the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Because the starting point is the fear of the Lord. You read through Proverbs and that comes up over and over again. It is that fear of Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, that is the starting point of wisdom for ancient Israel. The second thing to know about Proverbs and I think this is really exciting, is that it is wisdom intended for the the street level of life. This is not a super ethereal, like, you know, if if I said, hey, everybody, go home and read Aristotle this week and uh, get insight into life. You know, your eyes would roll back. You'd go and be like, I can't read Aristotle. But you can read Proverbs. And it's so very practical about life. Practical ways to do things. In fact, so much so that I think unbelievers could read Proverbs and there'd be a lot in here that would really up their quality of life and up their relationships and bring them a certain wisdom in the decisions that they make in their life. But the root of Proverbs is grounded in Israel's covenantal relationship with Yahweh. Yahweh is the, the, name, the self-identified name of God in the Old Testament. And it is fear of Yahweh which isn't like I'm terrified of him, but I am reverencing him. I am I'm valuing God more than anything else. He and his will and purpose is the most important thing in my life. That's the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. And we find in Proverbs, since this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God wanted his people to flourish. God wanted them not to flourish just nationally, but neighborly and in their vocation and in their sex life. And in their, uh, I don't know, that's, uh, my thought ended there for some reason. So, <laughs> I'm moving on. The form, <laughs> the form of Proverbs, if you've never read Proverbs, uh, you should check it out because the form is poetic. It's poetic, but it's a different kind of poetry. Like in, most of us, if we, if we hear something that rhymes, words that rhyme, we say, oh, it's poetry. But in Hebrew poetry, it wasn't so much about rhyming words as it was rhyming truths or contrasting truths. And so you read through Proverbs and it's, you know, the wise man is this, the fool is that. And that's poetry in ancient Hebrew. So, for example, in our, in our time, we might have a saying like this. Birds of a feather. Okay? And the fact that it rhymes and it sort of got this little rhythm meter thing to it, it helps us remember it. Or we could say one in the hand is better than two in the bush. Uh, you know, uh, take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves, etc., etc. We've got all these little sayings, and many of them use in English a kind of you know, rhythm that helps us remember them. Proverbs, while not English poetry, is one of the wonderful things about Proverbs is that they're written in a way that, are, that it's memorable. 
Like you can, you can, you can, it rolls off the tongue. And I've been reading Proverbs since I was a teenager. I think way back then somebody told me about Proverbs. Hey, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and there's like, you know, 30-ish days in a month. If you want to read through Proverbs, just read the chapter of the day. And so, you know, on, on June 1st, you read Proverbs 1, June 2nd, you read Proverbs 2, etc. And I've done that, and I've read Proverbs. I've read, I, it's one of my favorite books. Like, I, I read Proverbs multiple times a week. And I have found over time that because I've done that, these things pop up in my mind at the strangest times. You know, it could be an elder meeting, it could be a leadership meeting, it could be, a, you know, our family or something like that, and all of a sudden, bloop! Here comes this proverb to my mind. It was, you know, as Proverbs says. And, uh, you know, Jennifer's probably getting sick of that, especially now because I'm preaching through Proverbs. So they're like, bloop, 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 bloop. Enough of Proverbs. Sorry, they're in there. But that's part of the power of them. Verses like Romans, which we've been studying, okay, which is more like propositional prose. This is meant to be kind of popcorn, snappy, terse, pithy little sayings. But they've got truth in them, truth that you can live by on the street level of life. I have a friend named uh, David Murray. He preached here like two years ago, and he wrote a wonderful article about Proverbs that was very helpful in many ways in this message. He calls Proverbs Old Testament Twitter. <laughs> Old Testament Twitter. Little sayings that are tweets of truth, little tweets of wisdom. Imagine if Solomon was actually tweeting out these things, one a day, and how many followers would the wisest man who's ever lived have if he was giving out one of these every day? And yet, if you have a Bible, in a sense, you have that every single day, a truth to live by. The third thing I want to say is, and this is a caution when it comes to Proverbs, is that Proverbs is true, okay? But let's not make Proverbs truisms, Okay? What I mean by that is that a truism is when you take something that is true in a general sense and you require it to be true in every specific sense. When we do that with Proverbs, we are, we are forcing them to do something that God never intended them to, to do. Because these are general principles describing the way that things generally happen in human society, but there are always exceptions to this. So, for example, here's the classic example of, of, of turning a truth into a truism is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, parents, you could probably quote the rest with me, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many Christian parents down through the centuries have taken that verse and they've thought to themselves, hey, if we do exactly the right thing, if we teach them the books of the Bible in order, if they know John 3.16 by the time they're four, if they never miss an Awana, if they're always at tribal war nights at uh, Verge Student Ministry, uh, you know, we're guaranteed that our children are going to end up followers of Jesus. And then, when that doesn't happen, they think to themselves, is the Bible true or not? What's the problem with that? It's making Proverbs do something that God didn't intend Proverbs to do. You can be a great parent, and that is no guarantee that your children are going to be following Jesus when it's all said and done. But here's what that proverb is saying, is that generally speaking, children follow the paths that their parents lead them in, and it is generally true that if you don't train up your child to follow God, they probably won't. 
And yet, there's exceptions to that. I have observed over the years many not-so-great Christians suddenly having wonderful following Jesus children. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. It's the grace of God, right? And maybe all, of, all us parents, we feel like that's us, right? We're not-so-good not parents, but maybe God will be gracious to us. So do you get what I'm saying there? Don't take it and make them absolutes all the time. That's not the purpose of Proverbs. Okay, so with that, there's my introduction to Proverbs. Let's get talking about what is really the main theme of Proverbs, and that is the subject of wisdom. And we are introduced in Proverbs to three characters that Proverbs says everybody falls into one of these uh, categories. You have the wise, you have the foolish, and you have the third category, which is the simple. Okay? The simple. The wise, the foolish, and the simple. And what Proverbs does over 915 verses is to identify these three and to force us to ask the question, which of these is my life resembling? So the key thought I said earlier is Romans 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there we have you know, two of the three right away. You have those that are living according to wisdom, and you have the fools who despise wisdom and knowledge. And by the way, knowledge and wisdom in Proverbs is somewhat interchangeable. So for example, we have, here. there's Romans 1-7, here we have or, or Romans, <laughs> Proverbs. You preach through, you know, a year and a half we've been in Romans, so excuse me. You know, the point of Romans is that there's a means by which we could be forgiven. So, <laughs> But here's Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, wait a second. Which is it? Is it 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Or is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? And what I'm saying is that these two are interchangeable. And maybe you could say, well, wisdom is the faithful application of knowledge and the, and the directing, allowing knowledge to direct our paths, but they're very, very similar. The wise man or the wise woman in Proverbs is the one who appropriates God's wisdom, primarily as found in his word, appropriates that into their hearts, which provides for them a kind of moral and spiritual GPS by renewing their mind with God's word and placing his will in their hearts, there is a kind of directing that that word does so that the paths of my life are in the direction of God's will for my life. That was a long sentence. Did you cover that? Wisdom is presented in Proverbs as a kind of principle. It was there with God in the beginning. In fact, let me read Proverbs 8, which describes wisdom as guiding God himself in the creation of the universe. Here's what it says. The Lord possessed me. This is, this is like wisdom's talking. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust, or the, the, the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, 
then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. How did God create the world? He was guided by wisdom. Now I wonder, uh, friends, if as I read that, if there was a little pinging, a little echo in your mind, New Testament scholars, of this sounding like something from the New Testament, something that was with God at the beginning. Indeed, John 1, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know from John 1, the Word is a is a description, it's a title for Jesus. And I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here intentionally to point out to you that wisdom is not merely an ethereal thing. It is embodied in Jesus. Indeed, could we not say in the beginning uh, was wisdom, and the wisdom was with God, and wisdom was God. Because we get to the New Testament, and lo and behold... Who is the embodiment of all the wisdom of God and the expression of all of that wisdom? It is Jesus Christ. And so we read this through the grid of the New Testament and we see that wisdom is, it is a principle, but it is more than a principle. It is yet another thing found fully completed in the person of Jesus Christ. First service, amen. I think maybe there, somewhere in there. So the wise are those who, like God in creation, delight in wisdom and actively seek to appropriate it into their heart and soul and be guided by it it with their life. Wisdom is not being intellectually smart. In fact, that should be an encouragement to us here today. You might say, I can't be the wise. I'm not smart enough. Yes, you are. Because we're not talking about smarts here. A couple weeks ago, I got caught up in the Jeopardy craze. Did you? My parents said to me, have you watched Jeopardy and this guy that's winning all the time? I said, I heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. So I set my DVR and started watching these episodes and watched... James, how he knew all those things and answered all, I have no idea. Figures a librarian from Chicago would beat him, though, don't you think? All right, but leave it to a librarian to know more than James. But it was amazing. Like, do do I got to be like James to be, like, wise in Proverbs? No, it has nothing to do with knowing trivia or being academically successful, or having a PhD next to your name. In fact, some of the dumbest people in the world are, have doctorates. I'm convinced of that. Because <laughs> we're not talking about that educational academic thing. We're talking about the wisdom of God in my heart guiding me in the will of God. And that's something all of us, by the grace of God, can have and can be blessed by. And that's the point of, of Proverbs, is to encourage this sort of life. So who are the wise? Here's my definition. The wise in Proverbs are those with an internal compass towards success in this life and especially in the next life. 
Don't leave here saying, you know what, I read Proverbs, I'm going to be successful in this life. That's what the prosperity preachers say. The aim of Proverbs is, yes, success in this life, but the most important success is in the life to come. And the wise person lives in this day, as Luther said, there's two days to live for, this day and that day. Okay? The wise person lives for both. Okay, let's talk about the fool. This one's more fun. The fool. The fool is the foil of the wise in Proverbs. In fact, in a way, every time you see uh, the wise being described a certain way, the fool is the opposite of that. So let me give you some examples of, here's some verses about the fool in, in, in Proverbs. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Now there's a good one. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Who are you hanging out with? Young people. Who are you spending time with? People that are making you wiser or foolisher, which is a word I made up right there. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. One of my favorite uh, proverbs about the fool is it says that you can tell a fool by the way he walks down the road. And we all kind of get that, don't we? You're driving down the road and there's the guy and he's just got this sort of insolent swagger about him. And you drive by and you look at him and you think, you know, you haven't made wise enough choices to afford a car and yet you're walking like you're the king of the, of the town or something. Proverbs says the wise are able to discern the fool. The simple and the foolish can't. And there's one of the challenges that I think in terms of who we value and listen to in our lives. Are we allowing the wise, as the Bible describes, to be the influencers of our life? Or are we allowing culture and pop culture and such to be... Young people, listen again. If, if I was to go into your bedroom and to look at the people that are, their pictures are on the wall of your bedroom, would I say, I'm so glad to see the wise people that you have put up as inspiration in your life? Or would it be like, really, these are the people that you're saying are awesome and that you want to have guide your life? Which would it be, young people? And the urging here is the companion of the wise become wise. Who are you hanging out with? Who, whose lyrics are leading you? Whose teachings and philosophy of life are guiding you? The simple can't discern wisdom, and the fools certainly don't. But the wise, the wise do. The wise, here's some other comparisons. The wise overlook an offense, not the fool. The wise listen to advice, not the fool. The wise seek knowledge, not the fool. The wise walk with the wise, 
not the fool. The wise shun evil, not the fool. The wise brings joy to his father and mother, not the fool. The wise are slow to speak, not the fool. The wise are under control, not the fool. And here's the bottom line regarding fools. Proverbs says there is no hope for the fool. And to realize Proverbs isn't written for the fools because it, says, it literally says this, that, that a, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is useless. You, they, they don't get it. It seems silly to them. And maybe an indication of like where you're at in these categories is like how excited you are about this series this summer. Like if you're getting ready to walk out of here and be like, what a colossal waste of time that was. There was nothing in Proverbs that I needed. Oh. Well, I think maybe we know who we're talking to, do we not? Proverbs says you can't argue a fool out of his folly. He is just resolute in it. This is the the way that I'm going to go. It even says you can't beat it out of him. That's what it says. Not that I'm recommending it, but that's what the proverb says. You cannot beat the folly out of, a, out of a fool. He loves his folly, and he is resolute that this is the way that life is to be lived. So Proverbs is not written for the fool, because there's no hope for the fool. Proverbs is written to affirm the wise and to help the simple. And that's the third category that we have in Proverbs. So we have the wise... We have the fool, and we have the simple. So much to be said in Proverbs about the simple. The simple are those who have not yet fallen into the absurdity of the fool's life, but they're also not the wise either. Proverbs describes them as the morally gullible. These are the spiritually sort of naive who can very easily kind of go either way. They've not confirmed wisdom as a character in their life. They're not yet in the folly of the fool. They're somewhere in between. They are very easily swayed. A great example of this is Proverbs 5, where there is a, it's a very sad description of, it's a simple man who happens by the home of the unfaithful woman whose husband is away on a trip. And the insinuation there is that he's somewhat drawn to it a little bit. He kind of gets close there, kind of knowing a little bit what she's like. And she seduces him and tells him her husband's going to be gone for a long time. He took a lot of money with him. Let's, let's, let's drink of sexual delight and uh, nobody will be uh, the wiser. That's the way it came out. It actually worked out good. Uh, And the text says, like an ox to the slaughter, the simple man followed her. That's such a vivid picture, isn't it? You know, just, you think of the the ox at at the slaughterhouse. They have no idea what's coming. That's the idea. The simple person, they don't realize what's coming. They're naive, they're gullible, they're easily swayed. Life circumstances just suddenly overwhelm them. Proverbs 22, verse 3, the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple, they go on and suffer for it. The simple person just regularly surprised when certain things happen. They've not thought through it in a way 
where they could have, if they were wise, seen this is a danger and I need a different course of action. No, they just keep, they just sort of, you know, they're the dead fish going down the river. They hit the waterfalls, they hit the wet rocks, whatever, I don't even know. I'm just simple. Proverbs urges the simple to gain wisdom. So, chart number one here today, I got three. The simple stand at the fork of the road of life. There is a path of wisdom. There is a path of folly. And probably there are many forks in the road of their life. Many opportunities that they could choose wisdom, and maybe they will, but they are more easily drawn towards the folly of the fool. Truth be told, I think most of us are some sad mixture of all three of these, aren't we? I doubt there's any of us that would say, myself included, you know what, I'm the wise and I'm always wise and everything I do is wise. That's probably none of us. They also similarly would say, the, the fool, uh, I'm not always the fool, but often I play the part of the fool. Often we're the simple people. Proverbs 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction to, in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. And here's what I want you to see, to give prudence to the simple. Now there's the encouragement. There's no hope for the fool. Most of us aren't wise all the time. But when we are the simple, there is hope because the simple can gain wisdom. The simple can learn prudence. The simple can gain insight and understanding. And how we need that. No hope for the fool, but there's hope for us. So the purpose of Proverbs is to expose the fool, confirm the wise, and give wisdom towards the simple and to move them towards a life of wisdom. So Proverbs urges the simple to leave their simple ways. You know, sometimes we sort of, we, it's sort of a cop-out, right? like where we're like, hey, you know, I, I'm just a simple person. I don't want to think about complex things. I'm just simple, and it seems organically like human to be simple. Proverbs says, don't be simple. Be wise. Be wise. And so, Mr. Solomon, how do simple people standing at the fork of the road of life choose the path of wisdom? And here is a, a, a chart, and I have had this so long, I'm not sure if I came up with it or I got it from somebody else, honestly. But here is a chart. This is Proverbs describing how wisdom works its way into the heart and transforms a life. Because you have here this basic concept of the fear of the Lord. And again, it's not where I'm cowering, I am treasuring, I am reverencing, I am worshiping the Lord. He is the most important thing in my life. And that, in my heart, influences the way I think about things and the way I feel about things. And my conscience, even, is dictated by this reverencing of God, which, guess what? Here's the concentric circle. When I am thinking the will of God, when I'm feeling the will of God, it changes the ways I live. And God has so ordered the world that there are consequences built into this society, where if we live this way, these are the things that generally will happen to you. 
Whereas if I live this way, these are the blessings that generally will happen to you. And Proverbs is written to help us live wisely for us, like the Israelites, to flourish in life. And so the ways and then the consequences, and Proverbs is going to emphasize that there is a path of death and there is a path of life and is urging us this direction towards the path of life. And obviously in the gospel, eternal life, eternal life. Or if I could just, let me, let me New Testamentize this. Next slide. We just replace the fear of the Lord with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here on this side of the cross, how does this happen for us? It is when I, by the grace of God, trust in Jesus as my Savior. Now Jesus assumes the throne of my heart. I am surrendering my life in faith and obedience to Jesus. And that divine throne now is shaping the way I think about things and the way I feel about things and my conscience and it changes the way that I live. The Bible calls this repentance and obedience and sanctification. And the result of that is that the consequences of the directions of my life now being lived more consistent with the will of God increasingly lead towards life and shalom and flourishing and peace and the blessing of God. And I can know this. I don't have to know you personally to know. You didn't wake up today and say, you know, I want to be a colossal failure in my life. None of us do. We want to be successful in the eyes of God especially. And we desire those blessings in our life. And so the the question that Proverbs asks is, do you have the fear of the Lord in your heart? The question the gospel asks is, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus in your heart? Because this is the way, this is what happens. And over time, we are either living on this side of death, or we are living out the life of Jesus Christ, living according to his will and purpose in our life. And Proverbs urges us to live that way. Friends, how does God transform our lives? He does it by the power of God and the gospel. And herein lies the danger because you might read Proverbs and and you think, you know what, I'm the wise person and it lends you towards self-righteousness. Whereas in reality, we should read the Proverbs and like the Sermon on the Mount, it should help us realize too often we play the part of the fool. Too often I have not been successful, I have been a failure. And the gospel tells us what Proverbs doesn't, and that is that Jesus didn't die on the cross for our successes, and he didn't die for perfectly wise people. He died for sinners. And so there's hope even for the fool in the gospel, and the simple, and the wise, who all need Jesus because we're all sinners. And so in a sense, we need to be wise enough to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not great theology. Don't push that point too far. (laughs) Because God makes us wise unto salvation, the New Testament says. And by the way, what is wisdom in the New Testament? It is the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here's Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 again, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, 
but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you're here today and you're like, I need wisdom in my life, that might be true, but what we all really need is the wisdom of God and the person of Jesus in our life by faith in Christ. And that's the first step. Don't leave here somehow thinking, well, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be a wiser person and maybe life's going to be better for me. It might be in this life, but it won't be in the next. Real wisdom is success in this life and the next life. And that is why the gospel is folly to so many people. I did a big wedding yesterday, and tons of people gathered there. I don't know all of them, but I suspect many of them not knowing Christ. And there I, I preached the gospel. And I know there are many of them, highly educated people, they're, they're hearing me like, that guy is an idiot. Because penal substitution, incarnation, wrath and judgment, heaven and hell, in our culture, that sounds like, what? That's like, bleh. But it's the wisdom of God. Foolishness to the Gentiles, but salvation to all who believe. You might say to yourself, you know what? I think that's a good point. I'm going to read Proverbs. And you can go read Proverbs every day for the next month. And you might get to the end of the month and say to yourself, you know what? I like Proverbs a lot. In fact, I like Proverbs more than I like Jesus. You, my friend, would be completely missing the point. Because if you like Proverbs, you should love Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 12. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Who is the queen of the south? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Who is he talking about? Himself. Himself. Jesus is wiser than Solomon. And the gospel is better than Proverbs. So be wise enough to trust in Jesus with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. So if you like Proverbs, you should love Jesus. And we should all like Proverbs a lot. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Friends, what Proverbs does, like again, the Sermon on the Mount, it humbles us because we have been the fool. Sin is so foolish. And it should lead us to the foot of the cross. Yet another reason for me to realize I need him. Do you need wisdom? James 1 says you can ask God for it. He gives to all men most liberally. But the wisest of anything that we could ever do is for the fear of the Lord to lead us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know we're not in Romans, but can I sneak a little Romans in here? Do you mind? Romans 12? Is this not exactly what Romans 12 is saying? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewing of my mind, Jesus in my heart, the will of God in my heart and mind, changing the way I live and leading me towards the will of God, good, pleasing, and perfect. Anybody here not want that in their life? I want it desperately. And God will grant that to us. You know, Jesus talked about this, and our kids know this. I'm going to guess maybe some of you do too. Is talks about a builder. The foolish man built his house on the sand. The foolish man built his house on the sand. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. I'm just trying to contextualize to Indiana this year. <laughs> and the rains came down. And the floods came up, the rains came down, the floods came up, the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house built on sand fell flat. Or in some parts of the country, splat. But the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. And the rains came down, the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods came up. And the house built on the rock stood firm. And who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. Build your life on him and his wisdom. Don't be the fool, but be the wise. Amen.